Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listen in colour in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was George Benson with Nature Boy. Welcome to another Jazz Shapers, where the shapers of jazz, soul and blues collide with the shapers of business. I'm Elliot Moss, and today's business shaper with a story to tell is Rishi Kosler, the co-founder of the fintech bank firm Oaknorth. Rishi started out with a bachelor's degree in economics from UCL and went on to do a master's in accounting and finance from the London School of Economics. This platform allowed him to understand fully the world of investment, and he was an active and early investor to several companies, including India Bulls and PayPal. In 2015, he founded Oaknorth, where to date it has lent £1.5 billion, and clients that include Leon, Brasserie Barco, Galliard, Z Hotels and Frogmore. Rishi, hello. Hi. Thank you, you for, thank you for joining. Tell me about Oaknorth. Tell me about what was the thinking behind setting up this business back, I think it was in 2014. 2014, 2015, we actually launched September 2015. The thinking was pretty simple. When we were building our last business, we'd actually gone to a couple of the major commercial banks and had totally unsuccessfully tried to get some um, debt financing for the business. And predominantly because we didn't have hard collateral behind us, even though we were a business which was actually growing at a good clip, we had long-term contracts with top-tier clients and we had guaranteed revenue contracts, the, the, the banks sort of said they won't lend to us because they won't even spend the time to analyze our business. Um, a few months later, we managed to raise sort of uh, 100 times the amount of debt that we were looking at from them, from an institutional provider of debt finance. And we said to ourselves, something's wrong with commercial banks in the way that they look at growth companies specifically, um, and especially sort of companies which are in that scale-up phase. So we we looked at the problem and sort of said, how large a problem is this for the UK? And we figured, if you actually have a look at where a lot of the activity has been, for um, financing and sort of banks, it's been around in the SME space, it's been around how do I solve the loan for 10,000, 20,000, 50,000. Whereas those companies, they're obviously vital for the country, but they're not necessarily the ones which are going to help propel the country forward in the same way that a company which is looking to borrow, I don't know, a million, five million, 10 million, and really take that next leap up in terms of growth is looking to do. And those are the companies in our view, which have fundamentally drive GDP growth, employment growth in the country, and the ones which are being massively overlooked and underserved by the major banks. So our view was actually, that's a mission which is worth actually living for, and therefore building a business around. I mean, it, it's it's a great, and, and, and the analysis must be right. And indeed, it's been proved to be right. But to say you're going to do that, uh, and we'll come to your first business uh, in yep. a moment, first significant business in a moment, but that's a massive undertaking. People don't just create banks like that, do they? I mean, what was interesting is we started having the seed of the idea back in 2013 and um, and started working on the project properly in 2014. And at that point in time, you'd had one bank in the last 150 years get a new license. Um, so the bar was pretty high. Um, we actually... Figure that the opportunity and the problem for the country is so big that it's worth investing the time to try to actually build 
build a solution around it and building it through a bank in our view was the most robust way to do that so it was definitely a a large goal um or a large ambition but you have to think big so that's, and, that's what we love doing and you never for a moment thought you wouldn't be able to do it no because there's no there's there's never a plan b there's only a plan a Rishi Kosa is my business shape today, CEO and co-founder at Oak North, the second or third bank, I guess you can tell me, that's been licensed in the last 150x number of years. Um, before the bank, though, and I want to go back in time a little bit, just at the beginning of the 2000s, it's around 2002, I think, you set up a business. Tell me a little bit about that and why at the tender age of 27 you thought that would be a good idea, why that was your plan A then. So... Back in 2002, we I'd come off actually having spent two or three years investing, um, venture investing. And during that period, had a couple of reasonably big wins. So um, Seed funded a company called India Bulls, which has ended up at about a 16 billion market cap. And Series B funded PayPal, which obviously ended up reasonably well as well. Um, but what I figured very clearly was actually, you look at the best venture investors, they've all been entrepreneurs, and they've all built businesses. And in a way, the impetus for me actually starting in 2002, my own business was to almost prove my own worth as an entrepreneur so I could one day go back into investing, which let's be clear, I'll never go back into investing as a main <laughs> uh, as a main gig. That decision um, is you've made that one. That's done. fully, fully because all the energy, all the activity, all the the sort of um, uh, charge is all in the front line operating. So that was that was the original impetus. Uh, the business was basically around financial research um, and doing financial research in our view in a smarter way for the major global financial institutions. Um, so again, at, at the tender age of 27, I decided to write to all uh, the top 10 CEOs of all the major global investment banks and ask them for a meeting um, to pitch them my new business. And shockingly, two or three of them replied. And I had meetings with not necessarily directly, I had a meeting with one of them, with the other two, with, with other people in the CEO's office. Um, and we ended up getting our first client that way. And we sort of ended up in business. Um, just like that. Just like that. And with a lot of um, elbow grease and a lot of, uh, as I sort of say, sweating blood, uh, we built that business into a 3,000 employee company uh, by using a total of $60,000 to build the business um, over a 12-year period. And you sold that business? We did indeed to Moody's. To Moody's, right. And what did you learn about yourself in that sales process? Because it's one thing having, and I can already sense it, you've got this energy and obviously an intellect, which you put together to great effect. Selling is kind of, I imagine it's tiring, it's emotional, it's unpredictable, it's probably a little unfair in some parts, and you may feel out of control in others. Where were you emotionally at that time, if you can recall? So here's it's a really interesting question. So number one, zero emotion on doing any transaction. Okay, and why do I say that? The first time we looked at selling the business was actually to sell it for 250k with a 750k earnout. Okay, the second time we looked at selling the business was for 16 mil with like a four million earnout. Both times the potential buyers walked away from us, right? And it caused a massive roller coaster of emotions, right? And we said to ourselves, Joel and I, Joel's my business partner, that no emotions right? We're going to strip emotions out of any transaction. And actually, we also stripped emotions out of actually winning new clients as well, because you, you fight a lot and you can't deal with the lows because it takes a long time to come back from the lows, right? So you should celebrate the highs, but you shouldn't go low with the lows. So our view was that we had to change our attitude. And this was very early on. I mean, the, the, the first two transactions were sort of 
2003 and the next one 2004 or something, 2005, that type of time period. So when we came to selling the business, there was zero emotion and we were absolutely willing not to do the deal. The actual deal was immense fun, right? Because we had a situation where we'd been negotiating, negotiating, negotiating. We got to the Sunday and basically looked like the deal's not going to happen. Um, the the buyers, obviously, they're, they're headquartered in New York. And I said to myself, you know what? I've flown to New York so many times. I'm going to get on a plane just to see if I can sort of um, uh, recover the deal or not. And if I can, great. If I can't, I'm just going to turn back around and fly straight back, right? So so rocked up on Monday morning and sort of um, we managed within within like six, seven hours to course correct, find a solution for the core fundamental point. And what we agreed is we're going to go into the office on Tuesday and we're going to leave the office until we actually get the deal concluded. And um, so so that's what we did. And... We got back in on the, actually it was the Tuesday or the Wednesday. So it was 72 hours we ended up doing straight, right? Um, the meetings, it was uh, my lawyer, myself on our side. On the other side, there were about 12, 14 people against, on, uh, sort of in, interfacing against us. Um, and through through that sort of 72 hour period straight, right? So without without sleep, without anything, showering, um, you you sort of ended up with, Literally on the, it was on the Thursday night, you had people sleeping all over on the floors, just all over the place. And we managed to get the deal closed, signed on like, you know, past whatever it was, 1 a.m. or something on Friday morning and closed everything. Um, and, and it was great. It was, it was a phenomenal experience. I enjoyed it a lot. But no emotion. But no emotion. I was fully prepared to walk away from the transaction at any point in time, even even in the crux of, 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 of sort of that session. And what was the uh, the sale at that point? What was the value of that, that, that sale? It was a reasonable amount of money. I had a feeling it might be. Stay with <laughs> me for much more from uh, Rishi Kosler, my uh, successful business shaper, CEO and co-founder at Oak North. You've just been hearing about his no emotion approach to his first big deal. Much more coming up from him. But first, some words of advice for your business from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. Hi, I'm Richard Leadham, Head of Insurance Litigation at Mishkondorea. One of the things I always say to clients who come to me with a claim, whether it's against an insurance company or some sort of other financial institution, is be prepared to be in it for the long run because the opponents will try and wear you down. And that applies whether you're an individual or a relatively large company yourselves. Some of these institutions are set up to try and drive you um, to distraction and abandon the claim. So having the stamina and the appetite is very important. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers here on Jazz FM. Don't forget, if you enjoy what you're hearing today, there are many more ways to listen to the programme and the hundreds of guests that have appeared on it. You can ask your smart speaker to play Jazz Shapers, where you can hear many of the recent programmes. Or if you pop Jazz Shapers into wherever you listen to your podcast, you'll get the full archive of past conversations as well. But today, right here, right now, it's Rishi Kosler. He's my business shaper, CEO and co-founder at Oak North. And you took me, Rishi, into a room where there were lots of smelly people sleeping uh, before you did your deal. The lesson from that was no emotion. Um, tell me about then the emotional state you were in when you set up the next business. Were you as cool and as calculated? You saw that opportunity and you said, right, we're just going to go and do it. So look, setting up the second business after having been reasonably successful with the first was actually pretty tough because 
setting up the first business, we had no cash, we had nothing against to, to our name, and in a way, you put everything in. And suddenly, you've got a few pennies in your pocket, and you you, you sort of feel a little fatter and lazier, right? And you can't build, in my view, a good business if you've got that type of attitude. So actually, stripping yourself back to the point where actually you took away that that almost ability to say that I don't need to work all night, I, I can spend the extra money on X, Y, or Z. And actually going back to basics took an adjustment period of at least a few weeks. Um, and having gone, that adjustment period was tough because it was like, why do I need to do this? Why, I mean, I, you know, if I want to go home at whatever, 9 p.m. and go see my kids before they sleep, that's what I should be doing opposed to sort of saying that I need to need to go to 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. that night. Um, However, having made that adjustment, I would say that again the energy and the and and sort of the um, the spark and the hunger just fully came back, and um, and that's what I'm running on. And those hours you just referred to it kind of gently. You said, oh, you know, leaving at nine p.m. Most people go, whoa, nine p.m. Are you now still in that? It I'll do whatever it takes mode. I'm I'm a hundred percent in that mode. I mean, I would say that I. Every moment I'm awake, I'm thinking about the business. I'm thinking about how to propel the business. I try to think about how I propel the business when I sleep. Um, and and for me, it's it's 24-7. And how are you avoiding burning out? You don't look burnt out at all. You look really infused and, and energized and so on. But is there balance in your life? Look, for me, my life's my work and my family, right? So my family brings my, my balance. I have four children. Um, and that's what brings me my balance. So I, I believe I have balance to as my definition other people may not define it the same way but 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 that works for me and your partner joel is obviously a critical part of this equation so tell me a little bit about how that dynamic works because he's this is kind of the second time around for both of you and look it's in, in a way it's if anything closer than a marriage because in a marriage you, you probably don't spend that many waking hours together in the same way that joel and i do um, we worked very intensely together for effectively 16 years now. Um, that equation for us works phenomenally well. Otherwise, it wouldn't have survived the period that it has. And it works well because we know what to defer on which topics to each other and effectively where each other's sort of uh, have high believability, as we call it. Um, so You've even made a science of the emotion. There you high go. High believability. I love it. And uh, you've, quantified, and you've quantified when to defer. Absolutely. <laughs> right that's brilliant and why not <laughs> exactly but right at the heart of your business is this, as i understand it the technology and there's a lot of it is essentially helping you make better decisions and quicker decisions so the algorithms the machine learning piece of it just tell me a little bit about why you knew that would be important because that's really one of the big innovations in the business that enables you to make big lending decisions quicker than other and better than other people so fully so we were very clear that if you look at this segment of um, companies wanting to borrow, like I said, from say half a million to 20 million, they they just don't get serviced in the same way that if you were looking to borrow 50 or 100 million, right? Because if you're looking to borrow 50 or 100 million, you get a corporate institutional lender who's willing to go in, send an analyst in, do two or three weeks of work and actually put together a bespoke lending package, which is very specific for that business. And our view was that's actually what a number of those companies in that segment to require this, the companies which want to borrow half a million to 20 million have attributes which are closer or needs which are closer to the large corporate businesses. So our whole challenge was to say, how do we apply that tool set to these smaller businesses efficiently? And fundamentally, 
using technology, using machine learning, our view was you could get there. And I think we've, we've, we've more than proven that with what we've done with Oak North in terms of actually bringing in machine learning into areas which I would argue have machine learning hasn't uh, been used in previously to be able to bring the efficiency levels to actually looking at analyzing businesses at speed, but in high fundamental detail to be able to go back to a client with actually a very bespoke customized deal structure for them which is done, as I said, much more in the way than institutional player would, but for a smaller ticket. Now, in that, obviously, data and data scientists play a really important role. And the conventional part of a business pre-technology was human beings interacting, ensuring that they work together. You've now got this interface with technology. It's a fundamental part of your business. When you look at team and bringing on your team of how many people and the interface with tech, how do you manage those? Because it's a different equation, isn't it? It fully is. And it, I mean, what we have, which I think, again, is makes makes the business tick, is that we have credit analysts sitting next to data scientists, right? And the data scientist's role is to continually help train models based on what the credit analysts are actually doing. So the models get more and more intelligent as time goes along. And that combination is critical for us. And although you talk about the lack of emotion or rather the intentional uh, removal of emotion from certain things, how much does emotion play a role in these things? Because historically, if you go back to the good old or the bad old days, depending on how you look at it, if you wanted to borrow a million pounds from your bank, you would have a conversation Mm -hmm. with Rishi, the bank manager, and the bank manager would have a conversation with a few other people. They'd look at their own numbers and they'd decide. Now it's uh, it's ostensibly a bit of technology making those decisions but there's a very important connection with your client so how do you ensure again that there's that human side to it so excellent point right so for us it's a combination of saying let's have really strong analytics and analysis around the business and figure out how much we can lend and what structure we can lend with coupled with for especially for larger loans actually inviting our clients into credit committee where they actually present to credit committee. And then you have the combination of the character, the individual, coupled with the analytics to make a strong credit decision. And that to us is an is an amazingly important combination. It, what we're not, and this is the way that large commercial banks have gone, are tick box lenders, where effectively you just put numbers into, into a computer program and it's sort of computer says no. That's exactly what we're fighting against. And for us, therefore, what we view us having done is actually taking the, the institutional level of credit analysis and couple that with very old school meet the client and make the decision based on the client as well and that makes perfect sense and again just saying something publicly a couple of years ago it appeared in the press big two-page spread in the times john vincent been on the program a few times from leon talking about his bank you oak north and the new credit line that he'd been opened up as if as if he'd just won the lottery i mean in that sense which is extraordinary isn't it in this day and age stay with me for my final chat with my business shaper today that's rishi kosler plus we'll be playing a track from the one and only stevie wonder jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Stevie Wonder with Don't You Worry About a Thing. Rishi Coast is my business shape today and has been for almost the last hour. And we've been talking all about a cheeky person here who's decided to reinvent what banking looks like, but actually uh, standing on the fundamentals, which is 
talk to people, talk to your clients, have a relationship with them. But the big thrust in the middle is the power of technology to make some really important decisions. Your business now has a valuation of $1.4 billion, I read, and you've had a bunch of investment, which would indeed make that figure correct. Um, Doesn't sound like that's going to be enough for you. We like to think big and we have big ambition. The money bit within that, though, Rishi, what drives you? It doesn't, again, you, you made a bunch of money on the first transaction. doesn't strike me that that's the thing that's going to make you feel good about yourself. Do you know what? There's there's immense hunger to actually perform, to build. We've got a very clear mission. We've got a very clear vision. And it's actually performing against that to to take this to a to a very significant scale size business which actually looks at attacking this particular problem in multiple markets around the world and 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 that and that drives that drives Joel and me immensely mm. so it is the hunger to achieve the hunger to prove which which is the propeller for us and the achieving and the proving why is that important to you do you think it's important to me for for myself in a way it's just um there's a whole series of things through through one's life which is um, creates hunger in you, and um, and that's just continue to propel. I mean, going from my first business to the second business, we took a weekend off, right? Um, so it's but not that, that's intense. Like, I mean, that is, that is intense. Like straight I, from one to the next to the next. But is there, has this has this been a rebound from stuff that when you were younger that you just had to feel that you were compensating, or is it just because you know you're a bright guy? And in your head, that means you're going to achieve a certain thing, and until you've achieved it, you won't be happy. Because you, know, you know, if it's a if it is a decker, what's the name for decker horn? A decker horn, a ten billion yeah. pound, dollar or pound business. Yeah. I've got a feeling you're not going to be happy. No, because I'll be underachieving as You'll well. You'll be underachieving. So, yeah. so why is that pressure on yourself? Where does that come from? The pressure. I don't view it as pressure. I view it as again a drive, right? So I view it in the positive rather than the negative. Um, where does it come from? Look, I think there there are always going to be formative events which actually uh, create who you are and and how you think. And I think there've been mul- a multitude of those in my life which have continually reinforced that hunger for uh, within me um, and have made me who I am. So. I, I do think it is uh, very much sort of environment events which actually get you there um, rather than anything else. And if you did have that um, Decca horn, the Decca horn business, and then you uh, someone comes along and says, we'll pay you for it, and you, you, you essentially make a bunch of money, have you got any sense of what you would do with all that? Because I think Johan Cruyff said, there are only so many stakes you can have in a day. <laughs> what would Rishi do if and suddenly Rishi became a multi-billionaire? Look, a, a... A nice problem to have, obviously. But I'm just thinking, uh, just trying to get under the skin of your relationship so... with money. The drive is to build. The drive is to build and to, to as I say, focus on the mission that we have and actually and actually address uh, address this problem uh, you know, across major all major markets around the world. Um, the what would I do? I don't. Uh, so therefore, I don't have a vision of selling this business in anywhere near the short or even medium term. Uh, we 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 will continue building this business, right? Um, however, if, if I had a lot of liquidity, what would I do? I mean, look, I, I have a, um, a relatively simple philosophy about how, how I think about money, which is 
what you've made is is great. It's all about what you're going to do in the future, right? So I'm not one of I'm not one of those people who go off into the beach and sort of sit around. Um, I'd be focused on building my next business. I was going to say you might give yourself a weekend off if you're feeling generous. Exactly. Really good luck with it. I've got a feeling there's lots more to come and I look forward to the conversation in a few years when you have indeed gone global and the business is worth way in excess, way in uh, north of 10 billion. Thanks for your time today, Rishi. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? So Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. Um, and why have I chosen it? Look, I have an attitude where every morning I, I sort of, I thank God for, for everything. And um, and my saying with my kids in the morning is, let's have an excellent day. So there you go. Here it is just for you. I see trees of green, red roses too. That was What a Wonderful World from Louis Armstrong, the song choice of my business shaper today, Rishi Kosler. Brilliant advice around no emotions in a transaction and the sense of he is just going to keep on going until he gets to that serious level of value in his business. And how does he do it? He's super, super intense. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or head over to mishkondorea.com forward slash jazz shapers.